Christine. I'm a member here at the 5.30 service and I feel very privileged to share with you on this mini-series we're doing at the moment called I Once Was But Now Am. The other day, I'm at the train station. I catch a train to and from college and, and I look over and there's this person and they're literally standing there and in the spot, they're just spinning around in circles, like non-stop, like literally round and round and round and round, like a little bit crazy. And the whole time I think I was at the train station, they were literally spinning that whole entire town at a time. And I look over, and to be honest, I don't actually think much of it. In fact, it was a pretty normal sight. Um, and if I were to look at everyone else around in the train station, I don't think they noticed either or thought anything of it. You see, the reason it was a normal sight was because the person spinning around was a little four-year-old person. You know, kids, they can jump off tables, they can scream at the top of their lungs, they can run around like madmen, and yeah, we wouldn't think much of it, we wouldn't question it. But if we saw an adult doing the same thing, we'd probably think they're crazy. See, we all go through transformation in life. We, we age and mature, and I think it would be pretty fair to say that for all of, all of us, if we look back at who we were, say, 10 years ago, we would say we are a different or a changed person. So the last two weeks at church, we've been looking at transformation, first of Moses and then of Jacob, here at the evening service. But the transformation we are talking about is not this surface-level transformation that I've been talking about just now, not, not just a change of your mind or of your character. We're actually talking of a transformation of your entire being, a deep spiritual transformation from the old life, the old Adam, the flesh, the worldly person, to the new life, the new Adam, no longer governed by the flesh, but by the spirit. And when we become a Christian, the new has come the old is gone. We looked at this two weeks ago in Ben Sterling's sermon. Some of us have been sharing and encouraging each other the stories of coming out of this old life, this transformation that we've had from that. But for some of us, this new life may not be fully realized. We have new life in Jesus, and, and we know this, but we can't help living in that old life. Or we have the Holy Spirit, God Almighty, dwelling within us, and, and we know this, but we, we may feel like we haven't experienced his presence in our life. Or, or we have freedom and we are free because of the blood of Jesus, but we still feel trapped in certain areas in our lives. But God, he is true to his promises, and this is true. We are given new life, we are given the Holy Spirit, and we are given freedom. We have this, but it does not mean we live in it. When we are spiritually transformed, our life becomes aligned in these truths. I brought this plan. I bought it at this nice store last week here at church. I thought it was a really cute plant. It's a really nice plant, but um, that's not the reason why I'm putting it there so you can admire it. The reason I've got it here is because I'm going to be focusing on a how question tonight. I'm not looking at... So we've looked at what and why we would want spiritual transformation, but... And I'm going to be using this plant to demonstrate this how question. So how can I obtain or further this kind of spiritual transformation in my life? And so using this plant analogy, I want you to look at this plant and use this plant as a visual reminder today of the truths that I'm going to be sharing through it. So my question for you, looking at this plant, who makes the plant grow? Who, who gives this plant life? And I'm not thinking a big scientific answer, a very simple answer. Anyone? 
Yeah, anyone else? Good, he makes the plant grow. You guys are not very talkative. We'll get better. Okay. Okay, so yeah, God, he grows the plant. And the same is with transformation. Who transforms us? God. God transforms us. So keep looking at this plant and being reminded it is God who transforms. So today we will be looking at the lives of two different people in the Bible, James and John, their brothers. And I have been praying that this sermon will be a message that gives you hope, that you will leave tonight encouraged knowing that spiritual transformation, wherever you are at, whether you are feeling dry or feeling far from God, whether you've been doing this spiritual walk for more years than you can count, whether you you don't even know what spiritual transformation is or feel unworthy of God's Christ-like transformation, wherever you are at, I pray that you will know that spiritual transformation in Christ is attainable. So let's pray that God will speak to us tonight. Message of hope and encouragement. Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, I ask for more tonight, more than I myself can give. These are simple words that I've written, but you can transform them to make them powerful and to speak the words that need to be heard by each of us tonight. I ask that you use this message to give us hope. Use this message for your glory. Use it so that your kingdom will come here right now in each of us as you, by your spirit and power, transform us. Be among us and speak to us today, I pray in Jesus' name. The reading tonight's from Mark 10, verse 35 to 45. So then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thank you, Kayla. So here in this message, we meet James and John. And um, before I jump into the message, I'm just going to give a brief summary background on who James and John are. So they grew up in a small fishing village of about 1,500 people. It's called Capernaum. Um, And believe it or not, James and John, along with their father, were fishermen. And one day, uh, they were fixing their nets on the shore of this lake. And Jesus comes to them, and he calls them to follow him. And he makes them two of his 12 disciples. James and John, they left everything, their father, their fishing business, their home and village, and they followed Jesus. And so they were the sons of Zebedee, uh, but Jesus gives them another name. He calls them the sons of thunder. Now, not because their father was like thunder, but because of their outspoken thunderous characters. I think most notably, they earned this name when Jesus, uh, they suggested to Jesus uh, to call down fire on a town because they did not offer them hospitality, and Jesus strongly rebukes his suggestion. 
So I'm just going to fast track. Time passes. James and John have been with Jesus many years, uh, months, maybe years. And they see Jesus heal all kinds of sicknesses, paralyzed men, skin diseases. They see Jesus bring the dead back to life. They are part of huge crowds, uh, listening to Jesus teach with wisdom unlike anything anyone has ever heard. They see him command nature and it listens to him. And it is into that backdrop that we come into today's reading. And in our reading, Jesus and his disciples, they are walking towards Jerusalem. And I want to stop there because Jerusalem holds a lot of significance. So for Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, it's not Jerusalem itself uh, that Jesus' eyes were focused on, but the events and suffering that he knew awaited him there. But Jerusalem also held a lot of significance for the disciples. You see, all of Israel was under Roman captivity, and Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. And the disciples were following who they believed was the Messiah, the king, who would conquer back from the Romans, this city, Jerusalem, and ultimately all of Israel. So I want you to imagine them. They're walking on this dirt road toward Jerusalem. They're being followed and surrounded by a large crowd. And Jesus, all the while, envisioning what awaits him. While the disciples starting next to him are imagining this glorious kingship, Israel restored in all its power and dignity. And then Jesus, he stops. And he takes the 12 disciples aside from the prying clouds. And for the third time... He explains to them why they were heading to Jerusalem. He says to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, referring to himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who are the Romans, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. This is a profound moment for Jesus. He has been anticipating his death from the beginning. And in this moment, he opens his heart to the disciples and allows them to see the suffering he's going to endure for them, for us. Suffering he's already enduring as he anticipates the cross. Jesus knew that he would only last a week in Jerusalem before he is left outside the city walls hanging on a cross, a cross that was meant for criminals, so that we could be saved, so that James and John could be saved. I want us to sit on this for a moment. Jesus had just said these words to his disciples, just opened his heart that he would be mocked, that he'd be spat on, that he would be flogged and killed. And then Mark records, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus, Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Just take that in for a moment. Jesus just described the humiliating death that awaited him in Jerusalem, and James and John didn't even seem to care or notice his pain. They ignore him completely because their minds, I think, were imagining as something like this sitting on a throne and basking in all its glory. And Jesus He replies to them, you do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I drink? And and this cup is an Old Testament image of God's wrath towards sin. And then then they said, yeah, we, we can. They claim they could drink this cup, but a few weeks later, they both run away and abandon Jesus when they see handcuffs placed on him instead of a crown. James and John were ignorant 
because they're blind. And they're blind because they're self-centered and too fixated on themselves. They want a glory given by humans and over humans. But this is not what Jesus' glory looks like. All the while they were imagining this picture, Jesus would be glorified through this. This is humility instead of pride. This is love instead of gain. This is the type of kingdom that Jesus came proclaiming. So this year uh, at PBC, we are doing Ask Prayers, asking into areas where we want to see a move of God. If you are asking or praying for areas that seem impossible, I want you to take encouragement from this because James and John are two of probably the most revered people in the church, both today and even in their own time. And they are not revered as these arrogant sons of thunder who wanted thrones next to Jesus. They are revered because of who they became. God transformed them. They were so transformed that John went from being named a son of thunder to the apostle of love. James went from being a timid disciple who fled Jesus' arrest to being the first disciple to be killed by the sword by King Herod because of his bold faith. John later is recorded going to that town that he suggested to destroy with fire, this time coming to the people with a different kind of fire, placing his hands on them that they could receive the Holy Spirit. So take encouragement from this. Because James and John, could they have transformed themselves? No, that would have been impossible. They, they probably didn't even know they needed transforming. But not only was God able to, he did. And so how did he do this? God transformed them by encountering them with the Holy Spirit and with the power of the risen Jesus. And the Bible says that this power, this power which is the mighty strength God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, is the same incomparably power for us who believe. If God can transform them, can he not also transform you? This power is for us who believe. Can he not also transform those areas you are asking into? Now, there's two parts to this plant analogy. So the first part I, we worked out, it was God who grows the plant. But now for a harder question, and I hope you can respond to this one. Can I make this plant grow? I've got some no's and yeses. It looks like yes is the main, main. Well, yes and no. I can't physically make it grow. God makes it grow. But I can make it grow by giving it water and feeding its nutrients. So now looking back at transformation, can I transform myself? No, I cannot. God alone can and graciously transforms me. But I can water and feed and nourish my spiritual transformation. So looking at this plant, imagine it is sitting in my living room. What would happen if I stopped watering it? It would die. Now, looking back at my spiritual life, and I don't want to make a dismal picture, we probably won't die, but what I do want to ask you is, will I grow? If I'm not watering my spiritual life, will I grow? Am I able to foster a soil ready for transformation? So in simple English, what I am saying here is God transforms us but we need to participate. I don't know what's happening. A bunch of us here uh, in the evening service started a volleyball team and, and we're called PBC, it's a very creative name. Are you going to do our chant for us? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> our coach is trying to force a chant on us, but we're, 
not very proud of it. We've been playing for a few months and I, I think we're getting pretty good. Yeah, 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 we're getting pretty good. But there's this one problem with our team. Sorry, guys. This one thing that keeps happening uh, far too often. So the ball, it's flying over the net. It's coming towards us and we're all watching the ball and we're, and we're still watching it and then it lands on the ground. <laughs> and then we're looking at each other but you see, in a normal game of volleyball, the ball's meant to go back and forth. You're meant to hit it. But you see, this problem is a problem that we can fix. And I, I must say, we don't do this all the time. We're, we're getting better. It's a problem that can be fixed. It can be fixed by a bit more commitment, uh, maybe more communication. That might be a thing that we could do. But we need to make effort to practice this. What we need to do is, if we want to win the game, we have to do something about it. We have to solve this problem. And the same as with transformation. If we want transformation, yes, it is God who transforms us, so pray for it, but we can't just sit there and expect it to happen to us. So how do we participate in God's work of transformation within us? What part do we play? What does the Bible say about it? The Bible makes it pretty clear, and what we need to do and it's actually commanded of us, and I'll show you that later, is we need to die to self. And I want to make sure that you know what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about killing our bodies. Our bodies are good, not evil. No, what I'm talking about here is killing our selfness, self-centeredness, selfishness, viewing the world through the lenses of self. This, is, this self-centeredness is what characterizes James and John before they were transformed and even Moses and Jacob, for that matter. Because what was it that led James and John to ask Jesus for these thrones? What was it that blinded them? And that was so opposite to Jesus' kingdom, which we saw in those two contrasting pictures before. It was this self-centeredness. But Jesus desires in us the opposite. And we even can see in today's passage, Jesus guides them from a for-us mentality to a for-many service mentality. Now, we all probably have heard of this concept of dying to self a lot in the Bible, uh, but to apply it to ourselves is another thing. So Jesus, he says, whoever does not take up their cross, see, this is an action required by us, and follow me is not worthy of me. On another occasion, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, these are strong words. For the first hearers, even stronger to hear, harder to hear. They would have been imagining the people literally maybe 500 metres away who they could hear the distant cries of agony from who were hanging outside their town walls as an example of Roman punishment as they wait to die. And this is the type of cross that Jesus is talking about. He uses this vivid picture because we need to crucify the self utterly destroyed. There cannot even be a trace of survival. We need to hunt it down. This is the severity of the consequences the self has to the kingdom of God. And God, he has been doing a lot of hunting in my life lately because the self has gotten far too much of a hold in my life. Uh, and it's, it's been painful, but it's been really rewarding. And I know it can be frustrating when you're told you need to do something, uh, but you're not told how to do it. Like die to self, but you're like, well, how? What, what do I do? And so from what God has been doing in my life lately, I'm just going to share some practical steps that ultimately the Holy Spirit takes us on, but are measures that we can take in this process of dying to self. 
And so if you have a notebook um, or a phone device, I encourage you to take it out now just because these aren't steps we can do right here and now, um, but things that we can do in our own time with God. And so the first is to identify. Identify the places where the self is reigning in our life in place of God. Now, for some of us, this might be easy to identify. For others, not so. For me personally, I needed God to open my eyes. So just as an example, some areas that God exposed in my life, a big one was pride. My pride had almost placed me on a race course alongside everyone. And if I could outcompete them, I was happy, even to the point that if they trip over, that was a boost for me. And I could see pride clearly in some places, but yeah, it has a clever way of weaving itself into other places I was not even aware of, and, and God has been exposing some of those for me. Another area was anxiety. I realized that all of my anxiety was driven by a focus on myself. And in my anxiety, it was the self that held the reins of that situation instead of trusting it over to God. And another main area was pleasure. If I wanted food, I gave myself food. If I wanted entertainment, I gave myself entertainment. I had an attitude that I deserve it. It was my right. So those are just examples for myself. And I realize we're all different. We all struggle with different things. So I just encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to expose for you what are the areas where the self has taken control of your life. And then the next step is to confess. Now, as God exposes these areas for us, it can be easy to play victim or self-pity, which is often what I've done, but we actually need to take responsibility and to repent to God for these areas. And God is loving and he will forgive. And then from there, the next step is to sacrifice. And Jesus says, whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Uh, There's a promise in that. If we lose it, sacrifice it, we'll find true life. On another occasion, Jesus says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We may have to sacrifice stuff, but what Jesus gives in in place of that, we will never go hungry from that. And I know that uh, sacrifice uh, can seem like a daunting thing, but there is actually freedom in sacrifice. Now, that might sound strange, but when we say no to the self, the self no longer reigns and we are actually free from the control of self. Now, to say that again, so when we say no to the self, the self no longer reigns and we are free from the control of self. So I'll just give some examples from my life using my examples from before. So pride. that issue of pride, uh, an area of pride that God opened my eyes to recently. I said there was ways that pride can weave in that I didn't notice. And one that God revealed to me recently is the pride in my exterior. Um, and I exploited it to impress or intimidate people. And so I've had to make a sacrifice and I decided I'd stop wearing makeup for the last two weeks. And this has been really hard for me because I've been wearing makeup for a long time and, and I feel very plain without makeup on. But Ever since I've been doing this, I've actually been less conscious of what I look like. And I've been able to be just released of that pride issue. It's been uprooted from me. For anxiety that I was sharing, so uh, leading up to this sermon, one day I started to feel really anxious about it because the amount of time that I had left to work on my sermon and all my work and all the other busy schedule I have, the time I had to work on it was dwindling. And so I realized I had this whole day that I could have worked on it and I decided no I'm going to not work on it on that day I'm going to use that day for Sabbath and so I sacrificed it and trusted God instead 
And then for pleasure, um, I have been denying myself. So I started practicing the discipline of fasting. So once a week for 24 hours, I would just deny myself in that way to not have that control um, over my life because I love food. And I've also, another thing I've been getting up earlier in the mornings to spend time with God instead of my sleep-ins that I love sleeping in. So that was a really hard one. That's actually been something that has taken years to do that discipline. For entertainment, a few years ago, I decided to deny myself watching movies continually. That was really hard at the time as well, but I've hardly watched a movie. I've, I actually have a record of my first movie starting yesterday this year because I had a friend over yesterday. And that's before I loved watching movies and I loved sleeping in and stuff. And I could have, like, that was hard for me. But God has actually just released me from this because at the beginning it was hard to sacrifice, but I don't actually desire it anymore because the self no longer controls me. And it may seem daunting, but there is freedom. And just start with small things and ask the Holy Spirit to give you strength and perseverance. He will help you. And then the next step is to surrender. So surrender yourself to God. Release that ownership. Surrender your will. Surrender your mind your body, your heart to God's will, his purpose. And this lends to complete abandonment of control, complete trust. And from a place of abandonment, you'll find contentment, contentment in God's will and his purpose. And out of contentment, then you'll be able to fully participate in what God is wanting to do. And then the next step is to participate in God's will rather than your will to actually do and join him on the journey he has in his kingdom. And the final one is to know your identity. And I think this is a very important point because we are not the broken identity that is made by self. We are instead, we have been given a new perfect identity that is eternal and that has been given by Jesus. We do not need to create an identity because we already have one. You are a child of the God Most High. You are a co-heir with Christ. Do you hear that? James and John, they wanted thrones on the left and right of Jesus. But the Bible says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So just to end, I think it's important to bring us back to this plant in front of me. So who is it who transforms us? God. (laughs) Yay, you're speaking more now. (laughs) It's good. (laughs) God transforms us. So I don't want you to be overwhelmed by these steps because if you don't know where to start, start with God. Because if you look at James and John, they could have never have transformed themselves. God transformed them. And the same God who transformed James and John, um, and they were so controlled by themselves, he can also transform us. So I want to end this sermon by actually blessing you guys. I've never done this before, but just learnt from, <laughs> from my mother. Um, she's been doing a lot of blessing, and I've been blessed by it. So um, I want to extend that blessing and bless you guys. Last week, you probably would have heard the story of Jacob, and he went to quite extreme measures just to get a blessing. He put goat skin on his arms, and because he knew there was power in blessing, and in fact, all the blessing that was blessed on him was fulfilled great measures. As I bless you, you can open the eyes, close your eyes, but just receive it. So I ask that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you 
the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.